Hey there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Line Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been and it always will be. So, uh, welcome to the program. Straight off the bat, I've got uh, Tom Keeper here, and it's I don't know, like, you, you, there's some temptation to say formally of Cinderella, but that's definitely not the case, Tom, is it? Um, well, I mean, I, I'm, at the moment, I'm, I'm solo, but we have, the band is not officially broken up, no. Yeah. And, and um, t- tell us how things are, things are going for, um, uh, with, with your solo album, um, The Way Life Goes. I, I suppose the industry's very different than it was, uh, you know, um, Back in the back in Cinderella's heyday, anyway. So it was it difficult to know what expectations to have? Well, you know, I, I I try not to have any. You know, my expectation with a record is is to just try to make the the best music that I can, and then once you know, when I feel like I'm happy with that, and that that I've made the the, the music, you know, that's coming out of the speakers in the studio is the way I wanted to hear it. You know, at that point, you just got to let it go, mm. and uh, whatever happens, happens. Obviously, we live in a very different time, so, you know, coming out with this record, you know, I'm, I'm just just enjoying the ride, basically, and uh, touring, and uh, just having a good time with it. You've been touring for a while now. What, what are your sort of plans in the immediate future? I mean, do you do you have a preconception as to how long you tour this record, whether you go in and do another one, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, um... Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly when the, when the, another record will be coming, but I do know uh, the immediate future. The plan is to tour through uh, next year, 2015, with the solo band in support of this record, The Way Life Goes. And the label has more singles that will be releasing next year, so um, we're, we're continuing on with, with this record. Right, and what, what um, in, in the live shows, which, which sort of songs have sort of connected with people the most, Tom? Well, the, the first two singles have connected pretty strongly with people. Um, that Solid Ground um, is a very popular one, and The Flower Song, um, which is one that the label had worked with, both Top 40 and AAA, and, and Solid Ground have been worked with the mainstream and active rock formats. And, uh, you know, we've had uh, some pretty good success with the, both those songs, and they go over uh, very well live. Uh, so, you know, the, those... Um, you know, I would say have, have connected the most because they've had the most exposure in terms of being worked as single. You know, I read every day on the Facebook, people have a different favorite. You know, one day it's a different light, one day it's asking <laughs> today, one day it's it's not enough. So, you know, I mean, the fans all have their favorites, but definitely I think the ones that are the most known um, are the singles that have been worked so far. We'll get you to uh, pick a song in a minute and, and maybe a little uh, story behind it but you said that once you record it you'd just like to let it go I mean do you is it hard or tempting to feel like a salesman to feel like you're always trying to sort of um, um, sell uh, until you do another record is it tempting to always feel like you're trying to push different songs and you're trying to get people to listen to it because I mean as you said airplay isn't what it used to be you can't you you know airplay I suppose is sporadic and it's from one market to the next you might get it might get a little bit of airplay here, a little bit of airplay there. So, is it hard not to stress about that and, and be be kind of like always be a bit of a salesman? To the label, we have a very good label, Merivy Records. It's an independent, but it's distributed through Warner and ADA, and they've actually done a very good job of getting um, airplay for uh, the 
two singles that I mentioned. So I always leave that more to you. Know, that's not my area of expertise. Um, so that, that's more um, something that I kind of stay out of, you know. Yeah, now yeah. To create the music and go play it live. Now, you know, now there's, now, now, and, you know, in the world we live in now, though, you do have some things where the, you know, where I can kind of be hands-on a little bit with uh, Facebook and, and Twitter. But, you know, a lot of that's just fun stuff, you know, to, to the fans, you know, like pictures and and uh, inspirational stuff and all. You know, but every once in a while, we'll, we'll throw up the, the video or whatever, you know, just stand like to see that stuff, too. So there's a little bit of, I guess, um, selling on that, too. But that's, you know, the, the things that I have my hands in are more personal and fun stuff, you know, like the social media, so... Okay, let's have uh, just let's have a song, and then we better get on with our print interview. Um, what what song would you like us to play? Um, how about Salad Graham?
Hey everyone, this is Mike from Tracer. You're on White Line Fever. Welcome back to White Line Fever, episode 63. And thank you very much to Tom Kiefer, um, who uh, did the first interview in this week's program. Doing a, The reason I sort of jag those sort of interviews is I'm actually doing a print um, story on Tom and Cinderella for Classic Rock presents AOR in the UK, so I just kind of conned them into doing a five-minute chat for the, the podcast. But this is the Rugby League. Uh, oh, coming up, we've got uh, uh, more from Matt Jones of The Treatment and also Wolf Hoffman from Accept. But this is the Rugby League segment, and it is coming to you uh, on the move uh, at a very slow pace because we're walking after an, an amazing game of football here at Toll Stadium in Vangaray, and uh, the Kiwis getting up right on the bell, a 14-12 over Samoa, and I'm here with uh, Joanna Lester, who we did, who I did a number of podcasts with last year at the World Cup. Can you believe it's a year ago? I can't. It's almost exactly a year ago since we were watching this very fixture back in Warrington, where Samoa gave New Zealand a huge fight, and today was almost also different. But a very different game. I mean, that was a game where there were a lot of points, and uh, you know the Kiwis sort of went to sleep, and then they came back. Sonny Bill Williams lost the ball um, as he tried to score, whereas this was just a high, this is a high standard game from end to end. And I really, I know the Kiwis are kind of a bit disappointed in their performance, but I actually think today was more the glass really was half full, and it was a, um, a, a it was a really really accomplished, brave, skillful, uh, and a determined uh, performance from the Samoans. Absolutely, and Samoa led for most of this match from about the 15th minute until the 75th minute. I think it was the 18th minute they scored to take the lead, and they they led they led almost throughout. So it was really the Kiwis chasing them this week. And what an evolution we've seen from Samoa this year! It really is, like you say, a, a whole different side and really a whole different tournament. We've never seen a four nations like this with the so-called fourth nation running so close in two games. Yeah, I think it's uh, an endorsement for the people who first decided to expand the concept from three uh, nations to four. And we, you know, last year we had a World Cup semi-final with a sixty-point margin, and over the last two weeks we've seen Samoa um, lose by six and then two. And next uh, week uh, down home in Wollongong, they're playing Australia. They might actually uh, uh, get a win. But as I walk out of the stadium now, it's quite chilly, and uh, the, the, the lights are still on. Uh, there's a clink of bottles in the background as the cleaners uh, do their do their job. But I think we could have the New Zealand Rugby League. You know, they want more. The only games they make money out of are internationals. Australia are reluctant to play them uh, more than sort of once or twice a year, and unfortunately, okay, one problem is getting players released by the clubs, but the other problem is lack of credible opposition. And and if to see three of those a year at Origin time. And maybe play the same day as State of Origins, the same evenings as State of Origins. You know, that is a whole new revenue stream uh, for the New Zealand Rugby League. So even though we didn't see the historic win, and I think there was a little bit of an air of inevitability. If you watch enough mm. rugby league, you just go, you know, this team is sort of playing a above themselves and, and at first you don't get your rewards for that. It just t- tends to be the way things are and then eventually you do get your, your rewards for it. And, um, but I think there's enormous potential. I don't think people really appreciate what it could do for the game to have a competitive fourth nation, um, you know, World Cup time, but also the fact that it's a Southern Hemisphere uh, nation that could, that could play the Kiwis regularly. Exactly. I mean, you look at today's game. Who wouldn't want to see three of those at the end of the season in a, in a test series? And we've, we've sort of had this, this problem, really, in, previous, in recent years, that it's only England, Australia and New Zealand that any of them want to play in a test series. They only really want to play each other because they're not quite sure whether anything else is going to be worthwhile. 
Um, but playing the Kiwis playing a three-match series here in New Zealand, or maybe we can take one on the road to Samoa and play three games against Samoa. I mean, that's clearly going to be something of a money spinner. We've seen an almost full house here in Whangarei, have one in Auckland. It's, I just don't see why the, why the Kiwis want to do that, and especially if Australia keep wanting years off. Well, that's the way to fill them. The, um, the thing that we... Uh, say with English fans and um, you know who complain that you know the Aussies don't care about international rugby league and blah blah blah, blah. but you know nothing nothing uh, succeeds like uh, success and nothing competes like competitiveness and really uh, that the result does more than any amount of marketing or PR or coaching you know can do and 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 because it attracts people people can smell if they're being uh, bullshitted to. And uh, it's certainly uh, it, it was not a con to get people to come to a game like that again. I think one of the things that we'll take away from this series, even though some are at the moment very disappointed and that's a polite understatement about their results, <laughs> they we can't ignore them now. I mean, rugby league can't ignore a fourth nation that's come that close to England and New Zealand. Um, and, and so, the, you know, it's, it's much more compelling to be looking at tournaments like this in the World Cup and, and test series against nations other than the big three because you can't just dismiss what they've shown in this tournament. A mm. um, couple of plays from the game stick in my mind. One was Isaac Luke makes a break. He's ankle tapped but still manages to offload. The ball goes for about 10 pairs of hands and uh, the Kiwis force a line dropout and subsequently Jason Nottingale scores. So if the, if the Samoans had been able to just shut down that play, uh, then things would have been very different. And obviously at the end, Ben Roberts forces a pass. I know people on social media love to bag Ben Roberts, but he did some brilliant things today, did some great things today. But Ben Roberts forces a pass and uh, subsequently there's a turnover and that's the winning try with six minutes to go. So just those couple of little things and, and uh, we could have been walking out of here uh, you know, uh, hailing a bit of history. Yes, and it is rather sad that we're not having a bit of history, but with the likes of Ben Roberts, you've got to take the rough with the smooth. And, uh, you know, he's been out there for Samoa and they've been uh, eight points away from beating New Zealand and England combined. So they're pretty close. They, they could hardly be any closer. And like I say, I think when we look back on this series and, and when future series are in the planning, this is, this is going to be hard to ignore. Okay, uh, you got to. I forgot to plug the uh, Twitter account last week, so and it is. We're, do, we're back to doing one a week. I have time. Uh, WLF podcast on Twitter, wildlifefever.ning.com. Come and join uh, on. Cost nothing. Come and join on uh, on uh, that site, wildlifefever.ning.com. We're in New Zealand, so we're going to hear some music from Sheehad. And when we return, we'll be in Melbourne for Australia versus England. <laughs>
Johnny Tugget from Sheehard and the adults, and you are with Steve on White Line Fever. Thank you, John. And as promised, we are now in Melbourne, where we are about to discuss Australia 16, England 12. Did Ryan Hall score a try at the death? I'm here with Brad Walter, and you can hear the echo. We're actually in the old Melbourne Treasury, and uh, there's some strange music playing in the background, and it, it sort of, what does it sound like? Like sort of Vincent Price voiceover, but uh, anyway, uh, Brad, was it a try? No, I don't think it was a try. I think I think they got the right decision in the end. The lack of reaction by Ryan Hall at the time suggests that he didn't, well, no one. There was no celebration. No, I think the England players just, just thought they were going to get a goal line dropout, and and that's what the video referee was checking who touched the ball last. Uh, um, and then it did appear maybe it was a try, but I think not. Re- I don't really think it was a try. It was the uh, 100th uh, anniversary game of, uh, for the, or to mark um, the Rourke's Drift Test. Now, you'd imagine 100 years ago, um, there, wouldn't, there would have been no suggestion that was a try, and there would have been no questioning that Michael Jennings scored a fair try in the first half, but with the advent of technology, there's some doubt over, over both. Yeah, actually, I, I didn't think that that was a try to Jennings. I thought if you went on um, Jason Nightingale's try being disallowed last week in the test against Australia, then mm. then I thought that was I couldn't see much difference really. I thought Jennings looked like he'd lost the ball. He didn't have control of it when he when he went over or when he grounded it. So um, I thought that was probably more dubious than the final decision. But obviously, that final set that would have been just amazing if that try had if Ryan Hall had scored that try and England had um, won the game at the death there and knocked Australia out. Now, um, why do we have, you know, the, the, we, we take for granted in the NRL that, you know, the, the referee on the field has to uh, um, give his opinion, then he goes upstairs, in this case to his brother, uh, <laughs> to, who has to prove him wrong. Um, but no one's really asked the question of why are we playing under NRL rules in, in this tournament? I mean, in Super League, the video referee would have just decided whether he thought it was a try. He wouldn't have had to uh, prove the opinion of the on-field official wrong. Why haven't we got neutral referees for games? Why are teams being named on Tuesday? Um, why are we playing by pretty much domestic rules? Why isn't there a program at the games? <laughs> well, it's like NRL rules, but with one referee like in Super League. Everything is just a mishmash. And the reason that there's... Well, the whole argument about neutral referees, it's skewed either way, because in New Zealand, Australia and... England all nominate a referee, and that's, you would think, on the basis that they want neutral referees. But then they, and in the opening weekend, we had an Englishman referee, Australia and New Zealand, and an Australian referee, England and Samoa. Uh, and then, on, then in week two, they've decided they want to go to the best referees possible. But if, you go, if you're going to choose the best referees, then you'd probably choose three NRL referees, not an Englishman, a Kiwi and a, an Australian so the, and also, if you were, if it was the best referee for the best game, then surely you should only be judging the tournament in its um, in, in isolation. And who's to say? And the best game would have been Samoa and New Zealand, a winner versus a narrow loser, as opposed to a narrow winner versus a a, a, thra- a team that was thrashed. So, in actual fact, if you're going to um, judge the tournament in isolation, the best game at the weekend was actually Samoa and New Zealand, and therefore that should have got the best referee. The thinking is just well, there's a lack of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, this looks like Samoa are entitled to feel slighted because effectively what they're saying is that your game is the second best game mm. every week because we don't think that you're going to make the final or that you can win it. Mm. Uh, and, and the other case then is how, how did um, the English referee from the opening game go, go from being 
if, if that was the most important game, Australia versus New Zealand, how did he go from being the number one referee to he can't get a game in week two? No, he got a game. He got a game. He, he refereed the a police uh, test between New Zealand and Australia at, uh, at um, Amy Park on Sunday. He did a very good job. <laughs> yeah, well, look, because of the controversy, he might go back to number one now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, what is the number one game this weekend? The number one game now, because of the results, they're both on par, aren't they? Is one bigger than the other if you don't prejudge Samoa? Is one of those games big? Oh, I suppose Samoa haven't won a game yet, and everyone else has. So, therefore, that is definitely the number two game this week. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I just think they will all the game games need to be treated equally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think ideally they should have neutral referees, but if they're not going to have neutral referees, they should say we're gonna, we are going to have the best referees and, we, and pick them throughout the tournament just like they would in the NRL. Mm-hmm. Maybe when the tournament's played down here, they should just have NRL referees, and when the tournament's played in the UK, they should just have Super League referees. I, I, I disagree. I mean, I, I think that the International Federation in future should run a tournament like this and there should be neutral referees from neutral countries for every game um, because of the way it looks out, outside, and if the if the neutral if referees from the third country aren't up to scratch, rather than just not appointing them, we make them better. We do we develop them. You know, I, I just that, that's that's what I believe. Okay, Brad. Well, uh, um, enough of Melbourne. Uh, I'm off to uh, where am I off to tonight? I'm off to uh, Dunedin. I'm off to Dunedin uh, tonight, and you're going back to Sydney. You're going to be in Wollongong on Sunday. Oh yeah, well I'm going to be in Wollongong all week actually. Right. So I live there. <laughs> In camp, in camp. Are the players coming to your house for a barbecue? Yeah, maybe. Um, I think the Kangaroos get there on Wednesday. I think Samoa's there already. So They're going out to Kayama. And interestingly, um, Andrew Farrah's on their uh, staff, and he's not going to the game on Sunday because he's he, Ben Farrah, who is his nephew, is getting married. So uh, Andrew Farrah won't be, uh, won't be at the game on Sunday. But uh, the, the media access throughout the tournament's been really good. It's been a real, one real positive, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been, been great. And I, I, I think... I'm pretty sure that Samoa will be uh, open and accessible during the week. Um, yeah, I didn't know that Andrew was on their staff. Yeah, he is. He is. Now, um, um, some housekeeping. Now, we're going to hear from Ryan Hall before we go to the next song, and then we're going to go into some more interviews, Matt Jones and Wolf Hoffman. Um, but some to- um, housekeeping for me. Christmas coming up. <laughs> so uh, if you go to whitelinefever.ning.com, click on the Amazon icon, and uh, if you shop through there, I get, well... Uh, it's a pace for the hosting and stuff like that. I don't get very much, and you don't pay any extra. And also, there's a donation link there too. And I'm thinking that I might actually do a, a newsletter just for people who uh, donate. Okay, um, so here's some, here's a song. It's uh, a really nice sort of mid-tempo ballady type thing from Mr. Big off a new record. It's called East West, and uh, then we go back to the rock interviews. Thanks, Brad. Oh no, but but after I say thanks, Brad, we're going to hear from uh, Ryan Hall. But thanks, Brad. No worries at all. <laughs> well, I knew I touched it, but um, I didn't want to make a song and dance about it because I didn't, I didn't see myself touch it, so I didn't know if it was on the floor or not. Um, looking at the video, I'd say it was a try. We played, well, we played Super League rules, uh, so in Super League it's a try, but obviously it wasn't to be. Um, so we've got a bit of a task next week to do. Well, yeah, um, a lot of lads obviously play Super League rules like yeah, I do, yeah. and there's a picture going around on Twitter with Hines is still going around um, shows a bit of a you know hands on the ball when it's on the floor but it'll send me mental if I talk about it anymore because I yeah. remember remember last year in the World Cup um, in the last five minutes I had a chance to run it steps I'd give it a fumble and dropped it floor and that kept me awake for about three months so I don't want to dwell on this one anymore he's looking at me 
Here's looking at you Here's everything That we've been through
Hey, this is Michael Starr. This is Lexi Fox. And you're listening to White Lion Fever. Okay, we're back with uh, Matt from The Treatment. Thanks for joining us again, Matt. Now, I'm just reading all these stories about some of the amazing tours you've been on, you've toured with just about everybody, and the bands that you've named that you'd like to tour with, like Van Halen and ACDC, would be on most people's wish list just to see. Um, yeah. Uh, but do you ever wish you were around in the halcyon days of touring? Do you ever wish that you were sort of on one of these giant arena tours uh, and you were on every radio station and MTV was still playing music and, you know, you've been around Motley Crue and Kiss. You must have got a taste of that. Did, do you ever wonder what it might have been like? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, those were the glory days uh, back in the 80s and, well, really from, like, the late 60s until, like, the mid-80s was, like, the glory period for rock and roll, wasn't it? So, mm. obviously, like, we, we look at all them bands and see, you know, and watch kind of what it used to be like for them and think, oh, man, it'd be great if we were doing that. But at the same time, you know, we love what we do and we're enjoying ourselves just as much probably as they are, just in a different way. So, mm. you know, we, we don't, we're not too, not too bitter about it. <laughs> Do you, do you, I read that you watched, uh, you watched or try to watch every set of the headliner when you're supporting every single yep. night. Now, obviously part of it is like you want to learn from you know, any number of things, from technical things to stagecraft or whatever, but you must yep. also pick up the differences from night to night. You must be able to pick up the nuances of whether someone's had a big night the night before or whether... Oh, yeah. um, that whether the techs have stuffed up and the the instruments aren't tuned well enough, and and you must be able to occasionally see when your headline act is on autopilot and maybe not trying as hard. Have you have you noticed that as well? Is there a downside to it as well, or do you? Do you... Um, I, I wouldn't consider it a downside. I think it makes it makes you realise that all these bands are human as well. You know, mm-hmm. they're not these you know gods that you know people think they are. They're just human beings, and that mm-hmm. music is a really human thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're not feeling great, you know. The, the show's probably going to suffer a little bit if you've got a cold or if you've been out drinking the night before. Yeah. That's why we try and keep ourselves, you know, tip-top shape while we're on tour. We don't drink that much, don't take drugs or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, that's definitely something you can definitely pick up, but also it makes you kind of, it spurs you on because you go, okay, well, if they can be like that, well, maybe we can as well. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You, uh, obviously, backing tapes is a big issue with big arena shows. Um, and and you know the little everyone getting a little bit of electronic help. If you, what do you think of all that? I mean, do, is it each to his own? Do you have a, a, a thought on it? Would you do? Do you think you'd do it yourselves if you had a massive production where you might end up playing the same songs in the same order every night, and you might need some electronic help? Or are you sort of vociferously against that? I think it kind of just depends on your band. If it works for your band, it works for your band. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, for us personally, we don't do it. We all sing and everything, so. If, if if something come along where there was something in the show that you needed to do and you couldn't do it by, you know, physical voices, then, yeah, I don't see what the problem is. You know, yeah, it's yeah. all about people enjoying the show. Um, so, you know, whatever's going to make the show the best, that's what you do. So I think it, I don't see what people have a problem with it, but I can... I, I don't see the problem with it personally, but yeah, yeah. like I said, we don't, we don't do it ourselves. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Airborne um, have, a, as far as their stage show, you know, it's very energetic. And I, I actually saw a, sh- a show where you were on the bill, I think it was the end of last year, start of this year in Leeds with Airborne. Um, yep. um, what are, that whole sort of, uh, they've got their choreography down. They're like a sporting team, aren't they, as far as watching yeah. video of themselves and correcting errors and, and their sport. You know, they're, 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 they're sort of um, spontaneous and structured at the same time, if it's possible to be both, you know. Do, do, yeah. is that, do you think that sort of thing works for you? Would you sort of adopt definitely. that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, you know, 
Yeah, definitely. That's what we do as it is anyway. I mean, mm. we, we definitely, every time we see a video of us back, if, every time we see on YouTube there's a video of our show, we'll watch it and we'll go, OK, well, that could have been better. That can be better. What about if we do this here and this here and this here? So it's, it's loosely choreographed, but it's not choreographed mm. in the sense that it's a dance routine. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just, you just go, OK, well, that works at that point, so we'll make sure, we maybe, you know, we'll say, OK, well, that works, so we'll do it at a different point tonight, but we'll do the same thing, if that makes sense. So we'll change mm. it up, but we'll know that certain things work and certain things don't work. Yeah. So I think that's important for bands to do that. Obviously, you know, like you say, if you go out there completely blind and completely, you know, not knowing what you're doing, obviously it will be spontaneous, but it won't necessarily have the full effect. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Try, like you say, we try and be spontaneous, but try and do things that we know work. Yeah. So have you got a part in the show where you climb a speaker stack or, 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 or uh, you know, go out into the crowd to the desk or all those sort of things that that uh, that that, that, that uh, airborne do, or are they, are they little? St- have you got regular stunts, or do you sort of mix yeah, it up a little I bit? Mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in one of the songs, we, we break it down, and I'll get the crowd to sing back what I'm singing, and mm. we do bits like that. I mean, we don't do the whole kind of Angus on the shoulders guitar <laughs> player out to the desk kind of thing, because that's kind of that's almost like that's Airborne's thing now. It's like ACDC yeah. could do anymore, so Airborne do it. So if we would start doing that, I think people would go, "Well, you just copy in ACDC and just copy in Airborne." Yeah, yeah. So we yeah. try and keep we try and do stuff that's kind of individual to us as well, and. You know, definitely, we do. We do definitely plan kind of what we're going to do, but try and keep it spontaneous at the same time. You mentioned so. earlier about like not drinking and not um, taking drugs and stuff. I mean, how hard is it? Like, as far as discipline on the road, you're a kid in America. You know, at a at a massive, uh, you're on a bill with Motley Crue and Kiss. I mean, yeah. it must go must go for your head to go a bit crazy every now and then. I mean, <laughs> well, like, yeah. I mean, when yeah. I say when I say we don't drink, I mean we don't drink to excess yeah, yeah. we'll still go out and we'll have a couple of beers after a show or whatever and then there'll be one night where we all get absolutely hammered or whatever but <laughs> for me personally being a singer I tried not to because I know it's yeah, going to affect yeah, my yeah. voice the next day so the rest of the guys probably drink more than I do but you know we, we're not saints obviously we go out and have a good time that's what it's yeah, all yeah. about and we have a good party at the end of the, at the end of the tour we'll all be absolutely hammered yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, a, yeah when it comes to drugs and stuff like that we literally don't touch drugs at all because it is just a a, a spiral, you know, yeah, you yeah, start yeah. on it, you're just going to go down the hill. And we've seen so many of our heroes die because of being linked to drugs and stuff. So it's just something we've decided we don't want to do. So You know, some guys will just go on uh, vacation to Mallorca or something and they'll think my life is awesome and they won't be able to control themselves. What you're experiencing is uh, is a hundred times that. So how do you yeah. ha- how do you control that sort of ebullience, that excitement that... You're, you know, you're living a dream. Like, what is it? Is there something you tell yourself that it's going to be over yeah, quickly, or you know, if you don't? No, you don't, you don't tell yourself it's going to be over quickly because we hope it's not going to be over quickly. Yeah. We won't be doing this until we're seventy. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think you just got to have you just got to have a head on your shoulders. We've been lucky in the fact that Laurie, our manager, and Danny's dad has taught us from day one that you know it's it's not real life. You know, I mean, it's it's great that we do it and we love it, but it's not the real world. The real world is you know being back home fam- with your family and your friends and. Mm. Yeah, you know, this is as much as we love it. It is a job to us. We go out thinking, you know, let's be professional and let's do the best job that we can. Yeah, as much yeah. as it's a job that we love to do, you know. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's you have to kind of have to treat it like that and just realise that, you know, if you start going down that road, you, it's going to be a short experience for you. And like I said, we want to be doing this forever. So. Okay, time for another song. What do you got for us? I'm going to say because we're talking about Australia and the biggest Australian band in the world, well, one of the biggest bands in the world, ACDC, I'm going to say Shoot the Thrill, ACDC.
Femme Fatale, and you are listening to White Line Fever. Uh-oh. Okay, welcome uh, back to the program, and it's the second part of our interview with Wolf Hoffman from Accept. Now, uh, all these years, uh, and uh, um, you've uh, been touring and you've broken up, had a lot of different lineups, but finally a number one in, in Germany, I believe. What was? Do you remember the day? Do you remember waking up with a number one record? Uh, we've got a phone call from our German label, I believe, yeah, and, and it spread like wild fire you know it was amazing all of a sudden we have a number one album and to, to top it off we actually pushed a really popular pop artist in germany from the number one chart position which makes it even more funny <laughs> uh, you know that we've been around so long and finally you know we reached number one we couldn't believe it it's amazing now people in the industry will tell you that 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 a number one now and a number one 20 years ago are two completely different things do you but does the feeling for the artist it change? Do you, do, I mean, um, I mean, you still it's it's like with like oranges with oranges, isn't it? I mean, do, do you think you would have felt better twenty years ago, or is it the same feeling regardless? Yeah, my bank account would have felt a whole lot better <laughs> twenty years ago. I can tell you that. <laughs> no, but I mean, in, in all honesty, I mean, this, this is still a great honor because it doesn't get doesn't get better than number one, and just mm. you know, I think it's just. It's a, it's a symbolic thing that we reached in our career. It's a sign of the appreciation of the fans, how much they still care for our music, that it, you know, they made it possible, mm. that it became number one. Mm. So it's more of an honor and a badge of honor for us than anything really, you know, it it's just a number other than that. Yeah, yeah. It still feels great, man. Are there? Uh, is there a positive to, to rock being almost underground now? Do, do, you, do you think there's... The kind of uh, camaraderie and brotherhood is, is is more come to the fore again because because you know the scene is is sort of hidden from view of a lot of people, isn't it? I mean, would you would you trade in today for uh, uh, twenty years ago any day, or do you think there are there are things about today that weren't there twenty years ago? I would say I I like it today better than it was twenty years ago for some reason. I think yeah, you're right. It's an under it's sort of a it's it's a very sworn in community. But they are a little more, you know, they grew up with us now, most of our audiences, uh, you know, and um, they they take everything with a sort of a grain of salt, you know. Mm -hmm. 20, 30 years ago, you couldn't be a fan of ACDC and accept you had to be one or the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's like, you know, anything goes, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, ACDC, except it's, it's, you can be a fan of all that and just love the genre per se, where in the, where in the, the old days, it was, you know, pretty diehard, one or the other. So I like that aspect. And overall, I enjoy the whole touring cycle and everything, the whole industry a whole lot better nowadays. I don't know why. Maybe <laughs> because I'm older and wiser. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like having your hands on merch and social media and even down to sort of, uh, you know, the the accounts? Like some artists, I'd imagine, would find that a pain in the backside to have to deal with those things. But does that make it a bit more varied and fun, or do you prefer to keep your distance from those things? No, I like having a hand in all this stuff. And, you know, we're sort of a family-operated business here, so it's, it's obvious that, you know, I, I, I've got to say in all these matters, mm. I'm not per se the business manager and never will be, I know that, but Gabby, my wife, is, so I'm very closely connected to all this stuff. Yeah. So, like, it definitely feels like a, a family-operated business here. 
Okay, another song. We've got a, we've got a, a song from you, Wolf. What have you got for us this time? How about The Final Journey? That seems to be a, another good one. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of good ones. Actually, we played six new songs on the, in the live set of this new record. It's a, that's, that's the world record for us. We've never played that many new songs in the live set. But let's play The Final Journey.
Oh. I got a white line fever. Going around land down under. Going to turn around the corner way down yonder. <laughs> and I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore. <laughs> Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever. You get a chance, come and check us out live. We're going to rock your socks off and whatever, rock like fuck. That's what I say, okay? <laughs> come on down and rock on.